Dan, you don't look very good today. It looks like you're in a little bit of discomfort. Uh, I am a little sore, a little stiff. I spent uh, I spent the day stacking firewood. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you want to waste your time stacking firewood? Just I... leave it in a pile like everyone else. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, that's not uh, the way I like to. I like to have my wood stacked up, nice and neat, so it seasons. Joe, that's mm -hmm. the key. That's the key right there. Seasoned firewood. You're you're preaching to the choir there, Dan. Yes. And it just so happens that you bring up this topic of seasoned firewood. Uh, if you look right across the table, Dan, you might recognize a person sitting here that has a lot of experience about firewood, the uh, seasoned firewood, the firewood industry. And uh, I invited him in today to hang out with us and talk. Yeah, I, I heard that he's got, he is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to everything firewood. He and is. Since this podcast is everything firewood, I think it's a great fit. I think it's an awesome fit. I wanna introduce to everyone out there listening to the Woodhounds podcast, to our very good friend, Harry Watt, who is the wood product specialist at the wood product extension of NC State University. Harry, how are you doing? I'm doing great, especially hanging out with wood wizards like you two. <laughs> he is he's already earning his uh, free coffee, uh, Dan. <laughs> Dan and I take compliments all the time. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> good, good to see you, Harry. Good to uh, have you here on the Woodhounds podcast. Um, looking forward to uh, hearing a little bit about your your extensive knowledge in the topic of firewood. Yeah, and you know, Harry, uh, to a lot of our listeners out there, you if if you have been around YouTube and the firewood community for a while, I'm sure you have seen or heard Harry, because he has his own channel and he runs a host of workshops across the country involving firewood, specifically directed at firewood producers, firewood delivery services. And he puts the episode on YouTube and it's out there for anyone who has an interest um, to, to dial in and, and listen to it. It's a wealth of information. And that is how I first uh, heard of Harry Watt. And it was just exciting that um, we were able to uh, meet in our professional capacities. And that, Harry, you were willing to come on here and uh, talk to us on the Woodhounds podcast. Well, I'm excited, too. Anytime you've got w YouTube channels on firewood with wonderful audiences like Dan and uh, Joe, I'm just happy to be a little clinger here. <laughs> <laughs> when I first met Harry, he called me up and he says, Joe, he says, I am looking for a firewood professional who is intelligent, articulate, and has a face for the video camera. Uh, and I'm just wondering, do you have anyone that you can refer to me? <laughs> and I says, Harry, what about me? And he's like, no, I'm serious. Do you know of anyone? So anyhow, um, I, I got to tell you, I'm really excited to have Harry uh, with us today because he has a lot of information and a lot of these questions that have been um, pestering us for a while that we just don't know the answers to. And that Harry also has his eye on business, not just being an end user of firewood. 
but the entire industry from forest to the fireplace. So, so maybe we should just start, start off with like maybe a little background, Harry, just let us know kind of your, your story here, how you, how you got into firewood and where you've all been with firewood. Yeah. Uh, I'm Harry Watt from Western North Carolina, Iredell County in the Piedmont thousand feet of elevation. Grow up on the family farm and still have part of it that I live on. And we burn firewood. And I have lots of stories about that, but I always felt great when the wood house was full of wood. I knew we'd make it through the winter and life was good. Uh, my dad, he kind of liked to run the stove differently than I did. I like to run it to be efficient and he liked to run it to be long lasting. So he liked to burn greener wood than I did. and He liked choking the air off of it so it would smolder all night. And we would argue over that. <laughs> but, uh, I, being an extension agent at NC State, I had to finance my own operation, my own salary, my own state car, all that stuff. So I had to find grant money. And I did a really good job working with the U.S. Forest Service to do workshops for them on all kinds of things, lumber, sawmills, and so forth. And they said, is there any group we're not really serving? And I said, firewood. I said, I think we could really get a big audience if we tapped into firewood because it ties in the landowners, the loggers, the fire, existing firewood producers, the wannabes, and nobody is really digging deep into the business side of it, you know, making money. Yeah. And they said, well, why don't you start? So we started in West Virginia and did two national firewood workshops. It were big successes. And other states wanted us to come visit. So we went to Maryland. We went to New York. We went to New Hampshire, came back to North Carolina, went to Tennessee, and ended up in Wisconsin last year and these were all successful and when we had one of these we would have people coming from canada and i don't mean canada just going to new york i mean we had the canadians coming down into maryland and other places so wow. we always had lots of speakers and i really tried to load up the agenda with firewood producers dry kill people processors uh, if i didn't speak at all it was great that was okay because i'd rather people say I lost my shirt doing something dumb and don't do what I did or somebody <laughs> saying I made a lot of money doing this and you ought to try it too. Uh, so they were always a lot of fun. We had great social times. People passed out business cards. They visited later on and we got to what I know on, in the firewood business comes from talking to people who had their family business and their treasure on the line like Joe. I mean, Joe needs to make money on firewood. So, I take that and I just regurgitate it and, and, and help people out. So that's that's where I, I have been working for NC State Extension. Wherever the Forest Service was dangling a carrot, I was the mule going after the carrot. <laughs> so how long have you been doing that, Harry? Golly, uh, we have done probably 10 of these national firewood workshops. I've done workshops in North Carolina, Virginia on firewood. And I feel calls on firewood all the time, and uh, I try to help people out. I was working with a guy in, <laughs> who had a bad dry kill. Luckily, it burned down. <laughs> that was really the, the dry. Bad thing was, the bad thing was is when he put another one back, he bought it from the same guy. Oh, no. 
<laughs> but, you know, sometimes we learn and do better and sometimes we go out of business. But really, my first, my really, if you say, when did you get in the business of firewood is I was hired by a financial company that loaned money to this firewood guy who was going down downhill. He had gone bankrupt and he wanted more money to reopen it. So I got hired to spend a week with him to figure out if there was any way for him to make money and pay off the loans. And after a week, I said, yes, I got this plan and here's 10 steps this guy has to do. And the short story was they gave him more money. And when half the money was gone and he was looking like he was flaming out, they had me to go back up there and spend a day and figure out what was going on. And basically he wasn't following the plan. Every 10 things he was supposed to do, he was doing something else. And I told the finance company to pull the plug. Take the money. Don't let him waste. <laughs> well, as he had, he went bankrupt the first time and had to sell half his farm to pay off some of the debt, you know? And of course the finance company didn't do it. And I predicted in two months, he'd be out of money. And then that's what happened. Two months later, he was out of money. Oh wow! So I really don't want to ever see that happen to anybody. You know, if you're doing something stupid, the numbers tell you. So just quit doing the stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. Harry, what is your background? Is Are you finance or in operations? Are you an educator, a consultant? What do you consider yourself? Well, I went to school and got two degrees in wood science. So if you've never met a wood scientist before, I'm one of the few. Hey, There's a lot not. of rock scientists. <laughs> and if you go to a party and you're, you're hitting up all the cute girls, you, you can just tell them you're a wood scientist and maybe that'll do something. Probably not. <laughs> But then I went working in the big furniture factories here in the North Carolina, Virginia. I've been in Arkansas working in the factories. And when the uh, when they went downhill, I became a consultant. And I went out for a dozen years building new factories, moving all the machines around. And I always worked the finances to see if we spent all this money on new plant and equipment, was it going to pay off? So I liked running the numbers. And uh, so I did that for a dozen years. And then I went to work for NC State. They got some grant money and, and NC State sold me, said, Harry, if you like working here, you got to keep getting your own money. And if you <laughs> want to go find anything, you better go talk to the Forest Service. So when I started doing <laughs> workshops for the Forest Service, they found out that my crowds were three, four and five times bigger than anybody else's. That compared to me versus the professors I was competing with, because I was so focused on the workshops and they weren't that I could fill them up. And he said, Holy cow, we need to give Harry Watt more money. There you go. So nice. Every time I needed money, I would talk to the forest service and that's where I, they asked the question, who are we not serving? And I said, well, we're not serving the firewood industry. There's a lot of interest out there. And if we do workshops, they will come from far and wide. And that's been true. Have you found in these workshops like more attendance from like firewood producers or is it just firewood consumers and producers that attend? It's primarily the producers uh, okay. for a lot of reasons. One is they have lots of questions on sp splitting woods, how do splitters work, what kind of splitters do you use for different size logs. They want to know about the processors, gas engines, diesel engines, electric engines. They want to know about conveyors, material handling, delivery. The bundle business is always a good 
th topic to cover. They'll sit on the edge of their seat to find out how in the heck do you find these brokers? What do they pay? What contracts you have to sign? You know, do you have to sign your life away? And the answer is yes. <laughs> if you're in the bundle business and the problem, you get to pay for all the whole problem. You know? <laughs> but at the same time, it's the it's the volume business. You know, you can you put a couple thousand bundles out there a day. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. What kind of business owner comes to your workshops? Is it the small uh, startups? Is it the big um international shippers or, or interstate uh, shippers? Or is it a hundred cords or a, a hundred thousand cord producers? It's mainly the smaller people. They're trying to grow bigger and they want to know what's on the other side of the mountain. It's a lot of people that want to get started. You know, they, they've got the pickup truck and the chainsaw and the hydraulic splitter. They want to go, they want to go where to go next. Yeah. And like, like you have had the super splitter or the kinetic splitter. They want to hear about that. They want to see pictures. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the popular things I've done is to have the demos. When we do the national firewood workshop, we would have a lot of splitters. We'd have six processors out there. We'd have the corkscrews uh, splitters. We had dry kill people. We had, uh, you know, we had one company that brought, dry kills to the workshop so people can walk in look around see the controls oh wow so it's show and tell and confess you know yeah <laughs> the most the most popular uh topic we covered is is like producers tell all the good the bad and the ugly mm. uh, the things that worked and the things that didn't work and it's just it was just hilarious because when you put these people up there it's men and women you don't know what they're going to say. I mean, yeah. it's just going to come out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I will say this, you can make money in firewood. You can make good money. You can make great money. You can, you can be stupid and lose money. Uh, sure. The fella that I consulted early on that first time, he was stupid. I mean, I would sit there and say, look, you and I made this plan. You're not following it. And why don't you follow it? And he would say, well, I want to do it my way and see what happens. I said, well, you did that last time and you, you lost half your farm. You know? <laughs> right. Don't do it again. And I, yeah. I told the finance people, jerk the money. Don't give him any more money. If he's going to lose it, it's better to not lose it and go out than it is to lose it and go out. You know, he's sure. crashing and burning here, you know. So if you're doing something stupid, it probably feels that way, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Joe, if you do something stupid, don't you kind of feel it? I do. I, I got thin <laughs> margins, Harry. <laughs> I mean, come yeah. on, Dan. I mean, if you do stupid. Don't you know it? Oh yes. Yes, indeed. I, and, and I do it, I do it many times and, but it's always, you know, that's the one thing I found was that firewood is something where you're always learning. And if you don't have that mindset to always have an open mind, not be stuck in your ways, that's where you get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell it. Let me tell a story. This comes from Asheville, North Carolina. One of my buddies sold some firewood, and of course, he had already sold out of his dry firewood, right? So he's got some half dry firewood, <laughs> but he 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 sells it to this woman, and he doesn't charge her for delivery. So he shows up thinking he's going to dump it on the ground, and she says, "Will you please put it in my firebox for me?" <laughs> and he says, "Yeah." But he's lazy. Okay. 
it's semi wet. Now he throws it on top of her dry wood. What do you think happens? Yeah. She burns, she burns that first. She is complaining. The wood's not burning. And I said, why didn't you dig a hole, put this on the bottom? She wasn't going to burn it this year anyway. Right. Next year it'll be fine. And she's going to brag to everybody about how great your wood is. I mean, in the world of smart and stupid, Joe, was that smart or stupid? That is stupid. And Dan, no question. Couldn't you, if that happened to you, couldn't, would you see that one, Dan? Would you see that one coming? Yes. Yep. Yep. I definitely <laughs> would. <laughs> Harry, it seems to me, I'm going to make an assumption. A, a firewood. I don't know. I guess we could call it a professional, a person who's trying to get their business up and going and they want to, and they take the time and they spend the money to admission to come to one of your workshops. I would think that they have a general uh, openness to learning and to absorbing ideas and to executing them. Is that what you see at your workshops or do, are there a lot of people in the firewood industry that come their mind is already made up and they're hoping that you would uh, affirm what they want to do. It's a little of both. So if, if people are on track and they get reinforced at the workshop, that's good. And if they're on the right track and they say, holy cow, uh, we had some people in Western North Carolina that was going to vent a new way to dry firewood where you didn't have to kill dry. And, and these people are at 3000 feet of elevation. And, wow. and their thing was to store it outside. They were going to take a vertical pipe, like 20 inches, and drill holes in it and pile the wood in a circle around this pipe. And that was going to kill dry their firewood. Now, anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they weren't even going to cover it from the rain at 3,000 feet, you know? And it's like, holy cow. And I call these pet ideas. And we all have them. We all believe something that nobody else believes because it's dead wrong, okay? Mm -hmm. And it happens in firewood. You've got some people that believe the best thing you can do, and I've seen YouTube videos where people say the best thing you can do is fill your firewood as tight as you can. Don't let any air get in there between the sticks of wood. And to me, that's incredibly stupid. You yeah. Know, if you can't get air to it, it can't burn efficiently. And learning mm -hmm. how to burn wood, if you watch how your fire burns, like if you got a glass door on your stove, you'll learn a lot more on what really works and what's not working. And that's talking about proper burning technique. I have what I think, you know, I'm just turned 67 and I think I finally am hitting the wisdom and once in a while. But I've been really sitting in front of my stove watching it burn, trying to solve the riddle of what are you supposed to do. And I have a what I call a modern stove that has a fixed air intake. I cannot adjust the air going in. So I only burn dry wood. I've got wood that's probably five years old that I'm burning, okay? And it's been in a shed, open shed. Hmm. So it's really good and dry. I put it in there. It's like lighter fluid. Wow. <laughs> So if I put too much in there, it sets the fire alarms off. That's how bad it is. <laughs> uh, you have your choice in using a stove. You can, if you want to go over longevity, you know, put the wood in tonight, it's there in the morning, then burn green wood, pack it close together. And it'll last a long time. It'll produce a lot of creosote. You'll have low efficiency. 
but it'll last a long time. If you want high efficiency, you only burn dry wood, you burn small sticks, and you stack it crossways or leaned up so there's a lot of air around it. And you will get really high efficiency, 70s, 80s percents. Uh, you're never going to get 100 because most of us is taking inside air and going out. We still have water and dry wood. So if you can get 70% burning firewood, you are successful. So right. take what you want. It's your choice. If you want to choke it down and make creosote and it lasts a long time, God bless you. <laughs> yeah. Have the chimney sweep will like house. Keep all your valuables out in the workshops. <laughs> you don't lose everything. But yeah. it's it's really it's that simple, and and I really want us to make better stoves. But uh, that's going to be the future for us is better stoves that are cheaper because we the good stoves today cost too much for the average person. We need to we need cheaper stoves, but good stoves. Yeah. So Harry, do you believe in the new technology of stoves? I mean, do you support that, or do you want to go back to the days? of the Franklin stove, just a metal box with a pipe on it. Well, you got to remember, I grew up in the seventies and in the seventies, we had the oil crisis and especially in rural America, anybody that had a welder and could get sheet metal was a stove maker. Sure. <laughs> none, none of them, none of them ever made a good stove. And the reason is they made a box and they put a stack on it with no baffling. What's really making the modern stoves better is baffling. You cannot let the smoke get out too quickly because it has to get a high heat in order to burn up all the volatiles. Remember in firewood, about a fourth of it is going to burn as charcoal or solid carbon. The rest of it's being gassed out. And that's what you see the flame in the, in the door is, is the gas. So three-fourths yeah. gas, one-fourth carbon. So if you can't keep the gases in there long enough or hot enough, they're not going to burn. And that's where you get creosote when it cools off going up the stack. So I have magically this little magnet thermometer on my stack. And for my stove, if it gets below 200, it's too cold. If it's above 400, it's too hot. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching the uh, gauge, right? So I ref I stick more wood in there when it gets towards 200, and I quit when it gets to 400. I mean, it is rocket science, man. <laughs> yeah, that that is that it it does when you explain it like that. It does sound pretty simple, but I've I've had people you know overcomplicate that whole thing way too much, and you know, is is that one of the bigger like things you've witnessed or you've experienced, you know, with your workshop and just talking with people is one of the biggest, I guess, challenges people face is just overthinking it and not just breaking it down to simple terms like you just stated. Yeah, but they do it on the business side. You know, what kind of processor do I buy? What kind of logs do I get? What can I afford to pay? I mean, we have people that come to my workshop that have never spent a dollar on a log. But they're getting wood that Joe Nay would never cut. You know, <laughs> Joe Nay, he, he wants pencils of a certain size, you know, and certain species and, and, and on and on. He doesn't like dirt on his log because his customers don't like dirt. So Joe is going to pay money to get logs. We've got a guy near me and he's never paid a nickel for a log, you know, and that's that's the way it works for him. So we're very personal in our firewood business. You know, what what really do you like? 
what works for you. We all try different things and hopefully we learn and use that knowledge to get better. Harry, there is a recurring theme in the firewood industry about the future of firewood and people are thinking, you know, that there's that the stoves are going to be outlawed and burning firewood's going to be outlawed and the particulate matter of, of the wood smoke and it's harmful to our health. Where where do you see the future of firewood and the industry? You know, what's causing these problems? Is it just the stoves or the wood or are we living too close to each other? What's the deal here? Well, we do. There's a lot, some of all the above. Uh, there's a big problem with people that will not burn dry wood. They won't keep it in a place where it can dry out. And they also, I mean, that's that's part of the problem. There are a tendency for people to burn wet wood. And that's, that's one part of the problem. There's another problem. We do have a bunch of stoves that don't need to be used. And the change out programs before a municipality Get, shuts down wood burning, they really ought to have a, a change out program where there's incentives to get better stoves. Uh, certainly better operation of the stoves. Uh, if, if people are filling them full and choking the air off, that's an operational problem. So that's, you know, part of it's in the wood, part of it's in the stove, part of it's in the operation. Uh, you can understand why neighbors close together don't like the stinky one that doesn't know how to run a stove. <laughs> and then what can they do about it? So they sure. run to the public officials and say, look, you know, our neighbor is stinking us out and we don't like it. And when we go talk to them, they tell us to go away. So, and what does the municipality do? Well, we can just ban wood stove. So, you know, the evil people are doing this to us. The good people are not. So it's, it's up to us to figure out how to solve this and it part of its education and, and if you see somebody that's misbehaving it's okay to call them on it. i mean you can you can always sell them give them a sample of good wood so at least they see what good wood is joe sure <laughs> yeah I, I think the one like the one thing that always baffles me is like with the uh more and more popularity coming to like the outdoor wood boilers that somewhere along the line, people took that as, well, I can just burn anything in that wood boiler. So I throw in unsplit 18 inch round chunks of green wood and, you know, they don't, they don't want to, like it's made them almost lazy where they don't want to split. They don't want to season their firewood, you know, and I, and I think that's one of the big like myths out there is, well, you have an outdoor wood boiler. I'll just throw in unsplit green wood and it's fine. Well, I think you're right because it, it'll make heat, right? But make heat's got to be all right. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, one of the places I travel in the wintertime is upstate New York. Wonderful place, beautiful place, but it's got a lot of hills and valleys. And you will know for sure when you're around somebody that has an outdoor stove in the winter and they stop in the morning to fill it up. You're putting 300 pounds of cold wood in there. Plus, it might be green. And the next thing you know, the air's not moving and you have filled the whole valley. The whole valley is like <laughs> an inversion zone with wood. And it only takes one to do it. Now, we did have a company in Western North Carolina that burned with an outdoor boiler to heat a dry kill. And, and they had, the, <laughs> they smoked up the whole valley. And their solution was 
they put a taller stack and a booster fan on this thing oh. to get the smoke high enough <laughs> so it wouldn't smoke the valley out. But what happens in the stick stove that's a little bit different than the inside stove is the firebox is so big. When you put hundreds of pounds of wet wood in there or, or cold wood, it until it comes up to temperature, you know, three, four hundred degrees, it's going to smoke and it has to smoke and it will always smoke. Guaranteed. If you've got cold wood. So that's where you need the smaller splits, the dry wood and, and stacking it in an open crib type situation to get air to it. But the old water stoves, and my family had two water stoves. My dad's had one and my brother had one. And we used them forever. In the 80s, North Carolina had a 25% tax credit on those water stoves. And when they first made them, and even even till lately, they had a flaw in the design. They All they did was build a box to have a fire surrounded by cold water. And remember, in these big stoves, 180 degrees is really as much as you wanted. So 180 degree, even hot water next to that box would always cool the fire. So the fire was never hot enough. Yeah. And that's why you need the bricks and you need separation. And that's what they've done with the new designs that are gasifiers because the, they yeah. don't have that cold water right next to the fire. So the fire gets really hot and it gasifies it and all this wonderful stuff happens. So anybody that's got the old stoves, you need to either take them out of service or upgrade them. You need to put all the bricks in them. You need to put baffling. Uh, if you do that, you might make something a little bit better. But uh, I think you've hit on it, Dan, is you need smaller splits, dry wood, and don't fill them full of stumps and everything else you can find to throw in. Just because you can throw them in the door, it's not good. <laughs> which has always been my motto with my outdoor wood furnace if, <laughs> if it can fit in the door it's going in man <laughs> if i could get rocks to burn i would shove rocks into it as well <laughs> but you do hear horror stories you know especially out here in the country people burning their garbage in them and asphalt shingles and tires uh, they'll just stick anything in there they just belch smoke and it's obviously not good to breathe. Harry, I guess it's kind of frustrating though, uh, when you think about the firewood industry and our future, you know, it, there's just a lack of professionalism. You know, you just have a lot of guys and gals that sell firewood for fun or for beer money and they'll sell whatever. They don't have a commitment to long-term customers with seasoned firewood and educating. And then you got a lot of homeowners buying firewood in the dead of winter, <laughs> which you can assume probably isn't the driest wood to be burning right now, uh, but it's still going into the fireplaces. I don't know. I is, is there a solution out there? And that's where you know people want to cry about the EPA and, uh, and legislation, but you know there certainly is some a problem out there that has to have a solution. Yeah. Well, a couple things. One of the things that always came up in our firewood workshops when we have people from all over the country. I mean, we've had people from California, like say Canada, even when I was up north, we'd have people from Georgia. I'd be here in the south. We get people from Michigan and New England down. Everybody said, well, we, we want to have an association that unites all the producers. And there's been some efforts in that. And some of the equipment companies said they would throw the money in the table if we had a nonprofit running that. 
So it's something that could be put together, so, you know, to add a level of professionalism. Just about every industry you can think of, lumber and anything else, has associations, but we don't really have an effective firewood association. So that's that's one point. Uh, the other thing about the burning of wood is the producers generally fail in when they sell wood that's not dry. It's kind of like selling lumber for furniture makers. If it's not dry, don't sell it to a homeowner. That's, that's my rule. You can sell wet lumber to a woodworker that knows they have to dry it, but don't ever sell green lumber to a homeowner that doesn't know any better because they'll screw it up. So what you're supposed to do in the firewood business, and nobody really wants to do it, is every year you produce more wood than you sell. You sell last year's wood. This year's wood is going to be dry. So when you sell out of dry wood, you have to quit selling. Don't sell your green wood because that's going to be dry wood next year. Right. So we, we don't have discipline in the sellers. They will sell green wood. They'll sell half green wood. They need money. You know, they need money. They got all kinds of reasons they need money. So they, they're not, I was in Tennessee doing a video on a firewood machine, firewood processor at a, at a firewood business. And this guy in February shows up with a trailer to get wood. They just split. It was dead green. And I was <laughs> laughing. I was laughing. And I said, I wonder what he's going to do with that firewood. I mean, it's a spitting <laughs> snowy day. <laughs> Nobody goes buying green wood to start stacking in February, right? <laughs> he bought that wood. That wood was going to go in the stove that day, right? Sure. So, and they sold it to him. So we're, our producers are helping to cause the problem. We will not dry enough wood in a head. We sell green wood. Air, is it true everybody who sells firewood that has drive that don't they always run out every year? Yep. Yep. So why how can that be? All I have to do is know how much I'm gonna sell next year and cut it this year. Joe, right. why would you sell green wood? Yeah, well, number one, I don't. <laughs> and that is how I uh what you were just saying, Harry. And first I want to remind everyone we're talking with Harry Watt. He is the wood product specialist from the Wood Product Extension at NC State. Uh, but Harry, uh, and thank you for joining us here at the Woodhounds Podcast. We are the number one firewood podcast in the world. Just wanted to add that. Um, uh, but Harry, what you were talking about, I was sitting here pumping my fist and I'm going, yes, because that's what I do. You know, when I first started, I had like six cords. And in the next year I had 12, I just kept making and I'm selling next year's wood. And I'm making wood right now, but it is not going out for sale. And my phone is still ringing off the hook. People wanting to buy wood, people wanting to buy wood. And everything I have right now uh, is sold uh, to, you know, the customers that have already got into, you know, they purchased all their wood. I'm just sitting on it until they need it. So that is just the way I do business. And, you know, I'm not going to sell green firewood for a number of reasons, mostly because it's not worth as much money. To me, you know, I, I can sell seasoned firewood for a heck of a lot more than I can green firewood. And now this time of year, I am just going to uh, sit on this wood and it's worth it to me and let it dry out. And when I start selling it 
next February, you know, the, you get a good, get a good amount for it than what you could selling it in the summertime. Well, that's the lesson our producers need to learn. I, I guess what we need to do is to write a book. Maybe you two and I can get together and we write the book of explaining, you know, how to grow the firewood business and part sure. of it's discipline. Yeah. And what you've learned by having discipline, it helps you in the long run by growing revenues. You know, a dollar and a half tomorrow is worth more than a dollar today. Right. And the way I see things, when I have to tell a new customer that's calling me for firewood and I have to tell them I don't have anything for you right now, to me, that's just telling me I got to become better at what I'm doing. Because obviously I didn't make enough firewood um, you know, to, to, to sell, I'm still leave, leaving money on the table. Uh, but I do know that I can sell everything I can get my hands on. No question about that. Uh, the shame of it is I know when I tell a customer that I don't have any dry firewood for you is that they'll call company X and then they'll go deliver them firewood, you know, and you know, darn well that that tree was alive last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially this time of year. There's a firewood shortage every year, Harry. That's what I'm saying is, is you know, for some reason, our firewood producers don't catch on to that. You know, why do you, how can you miss the biggest, you know, the biggest thing to sell dry wood? Wow. You're the guy that's got dry wood. How right. cool is that? Have you, have you heard of the, uh, thought process that it is the customer's job to season the wood. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 We can sell green wire firewood all day long and they'll dry it out. Right. Yeah. They dry it in the firebox and you know, <laughs> dries real good in the firebox. Right. Yeah. Well, I used to, I used to go to uh, some state parks in West Virginia where they gave you free firewood to burn, but they, it was, it was extremely dry and I was the only one there that could figure out how to burn it. And that <laughs> is you cut the little pieces, you start with a, some kind of dry wood you brought with you and you filled the whole fireplace full of wood and it dried on the way up. <laughs> <laughs> so you can burn green wood. It's just stupid. You know, yeah. You yeah. Just, it just doesn't work really. It's, it's a bad deal and it gets people killed and we shouldn't be doing it. What what in what in your experience do you uh, like give as far as seasoning time? I know I've heard where like people will say, you know, if you have your wood split and in the woodshed by Easter, it'll be ready in the fall. Or do you think a, a full year is needed, or it depends on the species? What are your thoughts? Well, I think it, it, it's all. I mean, things like oak and hickory are so dense; it takes a long time. A big part of it is how much access there is to air. Is it on the ground? Is, are you keeping water off of it from the rain and snow? Uh, you, I mean, I've seen with these conveyors, we can stack firewood 30, 40 feet in the air. You know, it's, it's crazy. I, I was in New York State, and I swear this guy had a quarter mile long of wood that was 20 feet tall, you know, 30 wow. feet wide, ungodly amount of wood. And I'm like, from a business point of view, how stupid is that? You know how much <laughs> money's in that pile? You know? Not not only to say, what if some idiot showed up with a gas can in the middle of the night and set it on a fire, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's really... I mean, it's kind of like, have you ever watched the news and they have like the, uh, the, the, 
the tire fire where there's a million tires in one pile and it caught on fire. You know? yep. I mean, it's, it's stupid is a stupid does. So it's a, it's your, your, your question is a wonderful one about how to dry firewood and you need air circulation. You need it away from the ground because moisture comes up through the ground, you know, so you got to get it up off the ground. You got to have it protected, give it air. I mean, something like yellow poplar, uh, some of the maples dry fast, uh, you know, oak and hickory is slow. The biggest question that I'm always presented with, or I guess what I'm always told I'm doing wrong is, and I want to hear your opinion on this with your experience. Do you stack firewood with the bark up or the bark down? Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, that's somebody who says, I got a six pack of beer and I needed some, a topic to talk about. You know, that's kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of clueless on that. You know, I'm, I'm really clueless. It's like, who cares? You know, just, you're right, right. Uh, just what, stack it, just stack what, it. Right. Could possibly make, you know, well, you can argue, you know, if you want some science, okay, what happens to air when it picks up moisture? Is it heavier or is it lighter? Can you answer that one, Dan? Um, I believe it's heavier. Good answer. Right? Okay. Well, then you want the bark up because you don't want the bark catching the wet air, right? So if you have a theory, <laughs> you've got to base it on something. There, yeah. And I, I think I, it's kind of a nonsense thing. I know that, that. Oh, I do too. I just, I'm just always told in my videos, like by my, I get comments saying that I've stacked the wood the wrong way or I need to do, and then, you know, the other thing is what happens if the piece of wood doesn't have any bark at all? Then what do I do? You know, that's what oh my I gosh. <laughs> well, here's, here's a question for you, Dan. If I have a piece of wood that is 15 pounds and I have it in one hand and it's a split wood with some bark on it. And I have a round limb that's 15 pounds, which is going to dry faster. Um, <laughs> the split piece. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, it has to dry faster. Splits will always dry faster than with a bark. I mean, why, why does a tree have bark? It's to keep the water in and, and not out, right? Right. So if yep. you want to dry firewood, split the firewood, right? Exactly. Such a simple concept to live by. <laughs> Harry, there is, uh, I want to turn this conversation. And the, I am still, I'm fascinated, but I'm also confused. I don't understand the economy from a business standpoint about the, uh, the kilns to quick dry firewood. You know, and there's kilns, we all know what they are, but there's kilns specifically for firewood. Um, being able to fork in, you know, big baskets of it. It stays in there for a number of days. They bring the water content down. But explain to us where the industry is going with kiln drying. Is that the future? Is that a solution? But how can a small producer, and I mean small, probably 500 cords and less, can they make that work for them and be profitable? Well, the answer is, Yes. And, and what's going on is it, it relates to that premium. Remember in a business, you have this thing called the P&L, profit and loss. Revenues sure. minus expenses equals profits. And the question is, how much of a difference can you get for kill dried wood versus air dried versus green, right? 
there has to be a premium to make it all work because the kills cost money and, and the fuel costs money. But what you save is time. Instead of waiting a year to sell the air dried wood, I can sell the kill dried wood next week. So does it, you, know, you got that part of it? Yeah, isn't there also the other benefit is that it, it's going to kill bugs and mold spores? Is that also true? It's a big deal. Uh, recently, in, in the past week, I got a call here in North Carolina. Somebody put a floor down and bugs are coming out of it, okay? That wood was not, okay? Now, now you got to remember there's a difference between kill drying and heat treating. They are not the same. All right. It takes 160 degrees to kill the bugs. Okay. It takes 120 degrees to dry kill. So dry killing and heat treating is not the same. I can heat treat greenwood. We do it with pallets all the time. We don't dry pallets, we heat treat them. So the story there is if you're concerned about bugs, you heat treat them. And the more you're out, crossing state lines, that's where you need the heat treating. You don't want to have a problem. You guarantee it by heat treating, getting the temperature up. The reason you want to dry kill is to get the moisture down so it doesn't mold. So they're not the same problem. Mold's a problem and bugs is a problem. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're bringing your wood into the house. Exactly right. You don't want the bugs coming out in the house. Yeah, um, they your logs get staged next to the fireplace, and it gets warmed up, and they they wake up from their winter slumber. Yeah, they're happy bugs. You know, you got them in this one. <laughs> there's, there's nothing more fun to throw a stick of wood with bugs in it in the fire and burn the little bastards. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, Harry, do you have any experience at your workshops with invasive species? Is that a burden on the firewood industry? You know, I, I know about moving stuff between states, but have you seen any challenges that are out there for producers? Yeah, there's a lot of challenges. The It's really changed a lot. The emerald ash borer really woke everybody up to this problem. And there's two kind of evasives. And one is evasive trees, like the tree of heaven, Bradford pear, and they right. burn well. Just dry them out and burn them. That's good. Mm -hmm. And the other is the evasive bugs, but also diseases. There's all kinds of things out there, and none of them are any good. And, and most of them come from Asia. And we get them when stuff comes in from the uh, the ports and the wood right. they're using and so forth. And actually, there's some of our problems have been exported overseas. So what goes around comes around. But the, the lesson for all of us is to make sure if you're sending wood across straight line, state lines, it's heat treated. And if you're out traveling around, I don't think firewood has, has caused all these problems uh, i just don't i think they just if you look every day people are traveling everywhere and if you've ever been across the u.s and you opened up a suitcase and a bug crawled out you know <laughs> yeah. that stuff happens too yeah so my, my message on evasives is evasive trees burn them all you can evasive bugs understand they're there and, and don't do anything that's going to help them out mm-hmm here in Ohio, we just passed a law which bans the planting of that pear tree now, and everyone's being encouraged to cut them down and burn them. 
but you know, as for that emerald ash borer, I mean, there I haven't seen a live ash in this state in a long time. They're all dead. They're deader than the elm tree. They are now. My house, I have uh, seventy-five ash trees, and I treat them in the spring with poison. You know, you, yeah. you poison the ground, and that holds them off for a year. And I've got a sawmill and I'm going to work them into the sawmill and to the wood stove. So in my long run, they're going to be gone. But they're such a great tree uh, that it's it's a huge loss for America not to have the ash. And we need to pay attention to it. It's really. Yeah. Well said, Harry. Yeah, this is this <clears throat> this whole conversation here. It's just it's been fascinating, Harry. I, I do you. So are you still doing these workshops? What's the. What's uh? Is there like a where can someone find more information if they wanted to attend or just sit down and you know chat with you like we've been yeah. doing? Because like I said, this has been fascinating for me. I've, I'm mm -hmm. really enjoying this. Well, let me tell you, last week was my last day at NC State. I retired. <laughs> oh boy, I'm sixty thousand. <laughs> I've been working for him for seventeen and a half years. Uh, last week I ran my wood splitter. Uh, because I had a tree that fell down across my lot, my wife's lilac bushes and into my driveway. So it got cut up. And uh, so I, I run my wood, my splitter about every other week, splitting something up. But uh, <laughs> if, if somebody asked me to do something, I would probably do it. Uh, my wife said, uh, if you're doing this uh, Zoom for Joe Nay, are they paying you anything, you know? So I, I guess I'm going to have to sometime get a for-profit uh, thing going. But the, when we did those workshops for the Forest Service, they paid me, and we charged enough to cover just the expenses of the workshop, which was mostly lunch. I mean, most of the time we charged like $40 for a whole day, and we fed everybody. So I think we ought to do something. The industry should be looking at doing an association and pooling some money and, and doing the kind of promotions that helps businesses because the business of fire, we're not going to get better unless our businesses get better and we need to support them. Yep. Do you have a second in command who is going to seamlessly step into your role and continue <laughs> the national firewood workshops? The answer is no. See the this last year the Forest Service decided they were going to finance the Wood Bank program, which is great for nonprofits to create firewood for uh, needy people. So sure. instead of spending their money on me, they wanted to go and do the firewood banks, and and that's their choice. We didn't do the the National Firewood Workshop every year. Uh, but I do help people out. If somebody said uh, we're putting together something and we're, can you do us something zoom on firewood? You know, if my old buddy Joe called me and his new buddy Dan called me, I, you know, I would do something like that to help out. Who uh, or what would it take to start this national association, Harry? Well, it would take uh, probably because everybody is scattered out, you know, Zoom meetings and kind of things where you, you'd have to have some kind of a coordinator. You, you need a director. The, one of the big things is there has to be trust. You know, it has to be, it has to be a nonprofit. It can't be that Harry Watt starts the association as an LLC for Harry Watt. You know, that just, that's kind of smells right. Uh, and, and, and people like you, 
you know, if everybody threw a little bit of money together, soon you got a lot of money. But somebody that is passionate about firewood, uh, it doesn't have to be a full-time person. It can be an interest group that does this. Um, you know, I think it's something that we all talk about. Uh, you know, one of the things I'm thinking about doing is doing a, a YouTube channel on firewood, not to compete with you guys, but in a different direction, you know, that, that maybe would do, could address something like this because enough people have seen me and I've been around and, and I think they see me as an honest player. So, you know, it may be something I can help out in and, you know, I can do a little bit of it. I can't do a lot of it. You know? Sure. Harry, uh, this last question here is going to be a, probably a philosophical question, but I think you can still speak to it. About the future of firewood in our industry, on maybe a scale of 1 to 10, how at risk is the firewood industry, not from being shut down, but from being severely impacted by legislation, either by municipality, by state, or, or by a national standard? Or is there no risk? You know, where where do you see the direction of our industry? I think there's a there's a lot of risk out there. You've got states like California, Washington State, Oregon, especially those three in there that are are ruled by uh, urbans, urbanites. I mean, all of them have high urban populations, and they will politically they they like to kind of orchestrate what us other people do. I'm a rural person. I act like a rural person. I look like a rural person, you know, so um, that's one of the biggest risks we have. Uh, our ability to make better stoves is the number one antidote. We have got to make, we need to get these old stoves out of use. I mean, I have, I, I took a stove out of use that probably didn't get 50% efficient. Because as soon as the fire was made, it went up the stack and it had an air control on it. So it was a poor design. It was a 1970 stove and you could, it would still work for a hundred years. You know, you can burn wood if inefficiently for a long time in a stove. And a lot of us have workshops and other things. So risk that you're, you're, you're asking about is the big problem in that regard you know if, if you if you're going to invest the joan a family money a quarter million dollars a half million dollars and then we come in and have the state of ohio shutting down wood burning you would be in trouble sure all right joe so uh, you know this this has been just a great afternoon i had here. a great time with harry watt yes great time and i think it might be time that we uh get into that fun little segment we like to do here on the Woodhounds podcast. Uh, what would that be? Oh, you know what it is. Where we <laughs> like to get woodhounded. We, yeah. We we ask one. We ask quick little questions, and we just need a, a one or two word response. Harry, you are on the clock. You are required to answer all ten questions, and you have to do it within the allotted time, or you will uh, <laughs> risk a severe uh, woodhound penalty. <laughs> so are you ready harry i'm ready for anything you two can, clowns can come up with. <laughs> dan you start the clock and i will ask the first question all right harry okay harry what car did you take your first driver's test in a buick station wagon 
What is your favorite chainsaw? Echo. What is your favorite fast food restaurant? Wendy's. Where is your dream vacation? Oregon. Do you believe in UFOs? No. What is your favorite band? Ralph Stanley. <laughs> what is your favorite firewood species? Bradford pear. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather go to a monster truck pull or a symphony orchestra? I would bail out of both of them. Boo. <laughs> no. Boo. I'd rather split I'd rather split sweet gum. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your favorite historical figure? Oh. Robert Morgan. And what is your favorite sports team? I guess the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> All right. All right, Harry. Good job, I Harry. You, I, th I think without a doubt, Dan, Harry performed the best in the Woodhounded se uh, section than our previous guests. Don't you agree? I, I would have to agree. I would uh -huh. have to say I, so, yes. We're going to have to come up with more challenging questions next time. <laughs> well, guys, that was, that was, I was blindsided by that, you know. I didn't well, say that. Uh, Harry, you should have known by now to be on par with the Woodhounds. You got to be on your toes. <laughs> well, I was not a Woodhound uh, recipient. I'll have to. I'll have to be a devotee, I guess, and be a subscriber and all that. <laughs> well, unfortunately, you are now a Woodhound and forever will be one. You are a ceremonial woodhound uh grand poobah so yes. I was woodhound wood <laughs> that's right i was beaten down that's right yes indeed yeah i gotta tell you what dan i think this is great this is probably going to be my favorite episode of all time yeah i have to agree yeah Just... he says that every week dan he says that every <laughs> week you know the, the, the new guy well, gets to hear that i know well dan what do you say we've kept harry here long enough and perhaps we should strike up the band and let's uh, get out of here and let's get the stack in wood. Sounds good. Harry, once again, thank you very much. Great sitting down with you and chatting. Um, really enjoyed hearing everything you had to say. Totally agree. So, Dan, let's get on out of here. And uh, I'm going to ask that everyone be safe and have a great day.